0: And welcome to another edition of The Natural Nurse and Dr. Z. This is Dr. Z. I hope we are having a wonderful day. And we're here to talk about health, wellness, and alternative medicine today. And you can always get more information about our interesting lectures and walks and talks and fun shops um, at our websites. That's drznaturally.com and naturalnurse.com. So we're really excited um, to be here, Natural Nurse has the day off, and my turn to host the program here. And we have a very exciting guest, Sally K. Norton is going to be our guest to talk about something that you may not have even ever pondered. And that's where healthy foods, quote unquote, healthy foods can actually be very toxic in our bodies. And so Sally owns a or, or excuse me holds a nutrition degree from Cornell University and a master's degree in public health. and she's worked during her career in medical education, public health research, and now holistic healing in academic settings, kind of like myself being a professor and founder of the University of Bridgeport college of naturopathic medicine and dr kamai working at stony brooks integrative medicine we've taught a lot of doctors all about different fields and but today we're going to talk about this toxic chemical in our foods called oxalates and it's funny i was made aware of this maybe about 10 years ago or so at a conference and um was just fascinated because here people were doing all kinds of juice cleanses and things like that, or at least getting on an elimination diet and juicing lots of spinach and things like that and green smoothies and whatnot, and <clears throat> actually people might be poisoning themselves. If the food has lots of oxalates, like spinach and almonds, and your body is of a particular chemical uh, incapability of dealing with these oxalates they can literally poison us and then you can get all kinds of problems a myriad of problems chronic pain arthritis irritable bladder which i've seen quite a bit with this kidney stones i've even seen prostate concretions and on doing a digital rectal exam on on people uh men osteoporosis anxiety sleep problems fatigue So we're going to be talking about, um, with Sally, Dietary Oxalates, and she's going to be coming out with a book soon, I guess, Toxic Superfoods. Sally, welcome to the program. Sally?
1: Oh, hello. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm here. I just had a little audio moment.
0: (laughs) No worries. Yeah, it was great to um, introduce you and have you on there. So I could see that you kind of have been walked the fence and sort of in the holistic field and the field of uh, more conventional academia. Tell us a little bit about your arrival to understand food as both medicine and toxic.
1: Well, the toxic part, I wish I had known much longer ago. When I first decided to get a degree in nutrition so that I could be in the field of helping people avoid disease. I decided that when I was about 12 years old in seventh grade, that I wanted to be in that field. I thought, you know, the thought that you could know about how to take care of your body with your diet and avoid cancer and heart disease and hardships like that and improve your productivity and happiness through being healthy really appealed to me. And I had to learn the hard way that toxins are the other side of the formula. You know, male and misnutrition and, and you know, hurting ourselves with the wrong foods. It, there's an expanded idea about, well, that if you overdo sugars or overdo, you know, too many trans fats and these things, are even t- traces of trans fats, you can mess up your metabolism and get sick from that. But then there's the idea that the foods that we eat inherently contain toxins and you learn about this in school in very indirect and unfocused ways where there's a little sentence here or there in your textbook that says oh too much oxalates binds calcium you can get into calcium deficiency tannins cause this or that don't drink your tea with your meals Mm -hmm. so that you can get your minerals really like simple vague things so most of us who've been educated in the last 50 years in nutrition and healthcare have not been properly exposed to the science of plant toxins and how they interact with our physiology and affect our long-term health so most of us in in the field of either conventional health and nutrition or alternative and holistic health and healing are really undereducated about this topic but overconfident about what we know. So we're not very open to expanding into this arena of, uh, you could hurt yourself on normal foods. And that's what happened to me. It's through personal experience that can really wake you up. Uh, And that wasn't really until I was nearly 50 years old when I recognized that I had now a chronic disease from basically poisoning myself slowly over time, because of my love of Swiss chard, beet, greens, sweet potatoes and foods that we think are good for us, like chocolate even.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, we we were trained, we know a lot about gout, that that's kind of like a, um, a crystal back in the 1700s. They actually identified it in the joints of people and they called it like lithic acid. And then eventually it became uric acid. And we know that these natural metabolic poisons can kind of form concretions. And if you ever look at what a uric acid molecule molecule looks like under the microscope, it looks like a medieval weapon. And and plants have their own arsenal of of uh, molecules to that create. I guess their job. They can't run away, so their job is to make the herbivores. And people that eat the plants, I guess, maybe not herbivores, maybe omnivores, they're like miserable. So that's kind of the story of these oxalates, I guess.
1: Misery is the story of the oxalates. I think you've nailed it there. <laughs> and it is very much a story of crystals and and how oxalic acid is more toxic than uric acid by a long shot. And it's really intoxins toxins require certain dose exposure to start really causing trouble we're designed to handle a little bit of this oxalic acid now plants make oxalic acid which is a tiny little chemical that drops its proton and has a positive excuse me a negative charge on the molecule and that is considered the soluble form of oxalate soluble oxalate is used as a cleaner it's been used as a cleaner since the 1700s in industry to bleach wood fabric leather And uh, you can use oxalic acid in a machine shop to clean the rust out of a radiator. You can take the rust out of your patio with oxalic acid. And so plants make this oxalic acid for a number of reasons, many, and they are very helpful to them for defending against predation from molds and funguses and insects and can probably confuse the insects and and, uh, Probably cause even potentially some reproductive toxicity as well, which hasn't been well studied. But oxalic acid in plants—that's really high. We call those plants poisonous. And in fact, if you went out in nature, or went out to your backyard, or looked at your hedges and what's growing in your yard you wouldn't find naturally find a lot of food there because the majority of plants still maintain that toxicity that they require to survive in a world that wants to eat and infect them.
0: Right, because like you said, they wanna survive. So they have developed this arsenal of of chemical weapons. It's not, you know, it's interesting. It's not like an alkaloid, which will kill you right on the spot. Like if you eat some aconite, but it's a slow, um, it's a slow destruction of the cell. So what actually happens when you eat these oxalates? And then we'll get into the list of foods that um, are potentially problematic.
1: Well, in the movement from the toxic plants, like there's a, a plant called dumb cane or Diffembocchia that's popular yeah. in malls and things. Right. That one is famous for being so high in oxalic acid. And the crystals that the plant builds, the plant deliberately constructs crystals of certain shapes, including this double-pointed arrow that's like a mini toothpick, so many that it's impossible to see it. But dumb cane sap, because of these toothpick crystals made of calcium oxalate, see the oxalic acid becomes calcium oxalate very easily in nature. So it's quite easy for plants, they first make vitamin C to make oxalic acid, then it connects with the calcium and they build these crystals. Well, the combination of those crystals and the little grooves they instruct in the, in the they construct in the little weapon they're making penetrates two cells deep in the mucosal membrane and helps to deliver other toxins like proteases and soluble oxalic acid. So in that case, that is an imme- immediate acute problem. Sure. There's cases many in the literature. One of which a man spent nine days in the hospital. The first four he couldn't speak, which is why. Diffenbachia is called dumb cane because it paralyzes your vocal cords. So the mucous membranes are immediately exposed to the oxalic acid in these in the in the sap, these toothpick crystals. Now, when we're eating the foods that we think of are edible, that are high in oxalate, they're not nearly as immediate and acute. It is uh, subtle. It takes a little while for you to absorb that oxalic acid, that food stays in your digestive tract for 24 hours. And you get a peak of oxalic acid moving into the soluble part of the oxalic acid. the oxalates can move from your intestines into your bloodstream. So and the crystals tend to stay behind in the intestines. As you're digesting that material and exposing those crystals, you're probably getting a little bit of abrasion. There's even um, studies that show that ancient cultures who ate high oxalate foods full of crystals from oxalate had dental micro wear. Those are in the days of chewing foods. And and if you chew on these foods with oxalate crystals, it wears down your teeth. So obviously eating these little, they're kind of like glass shards. they are very hard, like quartz dust. Eating a lot of quartz dust is like eating sandpaper. So that's probably not so good for your mucosal membrane. and causes inflammatory responses there and the oxalic acid that moves from the gut into the blood starts interfering with cell functions. It uh, causes the immune cells in their mitochondria to express inflammatory chemicals, increases inflammation in the blood and the vascular system. The oxalic acid, can sit on the enzymes that cells use and interrupt the production of energy inside cells and creates metabolic energy problems. But all these things are under the radar. You don't really see the symptoms right away. You don't correlate and connect your diet with these, this problem, and which is quite significant nowadays in an era of chronic inflammatory disease. That seems to be what everybody's got.
0: Right, and they're not eating the uh, you know uh, agricultural meats and other things like that. They're they're you know told to avoid those, and you know rightfully so, if they have bad oils in them, which is part of inflammation. But then they may make a a move to a more um, what they think is a cleaner diet, and in in that case, you're saying that they're maybe exposing themselves to these tremendous amount of oxalates. You know, I'll give you an example, like the, the move towards paleo and using almond flour in all your baked goods and things like that. Now that would be an example of, I guess, people making the move away from gluten or something like that. And then not really realizing that almonds in very high amounts are one of these big uh, oxalate things. And then we have also the, the giant revolution in almond milk Mm. dairy substitute. Now I know me, if I have dairy, it it could really kill me. I mean, I'm very almost anaphylactic to it. So that's going to do me in faster than the almonds, but yeah. So tell us a little bit about.
1: Yeah. That switch for the switch in the diet. That's what happened to me. I had been a vegetarian for eight years and then I was a vegan for eight more years. So a 16 year point, my health was really collapsing and I was in graduate school and I was really struggling with like statistics and energy and I was collapsed on the sofa. And I I, I started to connect, my, you know, I have a degree in nutrition, but it took me years to connect my extreme fatigue and, and pain issues with my diet. And so I realized I was now basically allergic to gluten and wheat and legumes. So I added in sweet potatoes as a starch replacement and they're delicious and versatile and you can even cook them for breakfast and within a few months of that I started to look 10 years older because sweet potatoes are very high in oxalate maybe worse than the whole wheat breads I was eating which is hard to believe because bran is also high in oxalate spinach is high in oxalate the almonds peanuts cashews these are all high in oxalates and these are has a lot of the soluble oxalate that moves from the gut into the blood and starts affecting, you know, your immune cells, your red blood cells, your vascular system. And then it moves into your liver and the liver has to use a lot of glutathione, you know, to protect itself. And it does a great job. The liver doesn't sustain a lot of damage, I think from the high oxalate diet, except for the fact that it requires so much antioxidant power to tolerate loads of sweet potatoes, (laughs) every day like I was eating. And I think it can make you more vulnerable to accumulating glyphosate and to developing chemical sensitivity because you're stressing your liver with every meal, usually three times a day. If you're a vegetarian, you're snacking a lot and carrying nuts around with you. (laughs) and It gets really toxic. And that material that left your gut went to the liver is now just two inches away, moving into the heart, lungs, and then back into the heart. So after we eat sweet potatoes, almonds, almond milk, almond flour, this and that, beets, beet greens, green juices, we are affecting the function of our immune system, our vascular system, our liver, the heart, heart muscle, the pacemaker, and the lung tissue Um, in a period of time that's about 15 minutes to about 10 hours after a meal.
0: Now I know when I know when they've looked at <clears throat> excuse me biopsies of of different target tissues. They've actually seen these sharp, like I said before, medieval-like uh, crystals found in the bones. For instance, seems to be a repository of oxalates, and that you know I don't know if that's been linked to actually different diseases of the bones, like osteoporosis. Maybe you, you've you been following the literature more than I have. Most
1: definitely, most no. definitely. And anyone who's out there on Instagram should check out my Instagram posts. I have many about the reversal of my own osteopenia that I believe my high oxalate diet caused just by changing to a low oxalate diet. And then it, the, the rate of bone density improvement in my hip got much better even still when I added potassium citrate, which is well-known in the literature to support bone health. But you see oxalic acid is attracted to calcium and minerals, bonds with all kinds of minerals, iron, magnesium, calcium. So the biggest repository of minerals in your body is your bones. Mm-hmm. So over the over long term, as the body's handling the excessive amount of oxalate and trying to keep it out of the vascular system and out of the kidneys and protect the vital organs it tends to migrate to the bones and bone marrow. And this is probably why a lot of us who have overdone oxalate in our diets have low white blood counts and maybe even anemia because the marrow full of oxalate is struggling to make enough cells quickly enough. And the incoming dietary oxalate is probably killing off cells faster than they would normally go. So it's if you've poisoned your blood and your marrow together, that could be bad for healthy blood. Uh, It certainly depletes the body of calcium. There's 100 years of medical science demonstrating oxalate depletes the body of calcium quite severely and other minerals as well. Another place where oxalate seems to be universally accumulate is the thyroid gland. Something like 85% of us have visible oxalate crystals forming in our thyroid gland by the time we're 50 the younger you are the less you have because it takes years of the diet to build it up into your tissues but this is really a big deal because thyroid problems are also quite common now
0: absolutely And, and to see these crystals in there is is troubling that's for sure. So, what with to some be troubling? Other, <laughs> I like, it
1: was more troubling to our mainstream thinking. Like, it should be shocking that 85% of us have pathologic crystals in our glandular tissues. This is not good.
0: Yeah, because they act as a physical, like you, you talked about that they actually disrupt membranes and they can actually get into cells and cause other issues with mitochondria, but they're also just very sharp. And I guess they would irritate nerves and cause pain what, what syndrome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. See, it's uh, there's an electromagnetic effect too of oxalic acid and particularly the nanocrystals that you never could see. I mean, no one's even been thinking about the these invisible crystals. That is the first stage oxalic acid grabs calcium and then you got calcium oxalate and you get, eight pairs of these guys suddenly being together somewhere in a cell or on a cell or near cells or in kidney tubules, and they suddenly form a seed crystal. And so these crystals start forming in your tissues. And as this stuff starts filling up your kidneys and other tissues in the body, you are basically developing a huge problem for your immune system. That's very much like asbestosis where you have particulate materials that create immune problems. So the immune system tries hard to hide these crystals. The, um, some immune cells will throw out their DNA and create this Spider-Man like web with their dead DNA and wrap the crystals to insulate them. So the electromagnetics aren't so bad. And also it doesn't really have the power anymore to grab your minerals, losing minerals from the blood, not only messes up your pacemaker and heart muscles, but muscles and nerves generally don't do well when the electrolyte balance is disturbed and you're starting to get depleted in reserves of minerals. It gets to be a desperate situation and can lead to all kinds of neuropathies and brain inflammation, which leads to mood problems and thought problems. And oxalates even been found to accumulate in a little part in the middle of the brain associated with Parkinson's disease, where folks with Parkinson's disease have the crystals and folks without them don't in that part of the brain
0: so it sounds like you're it sounds like a pandemic (laughs) I mean it's like it's pretty stark some of this some of the things you're saying here um what are other symptoms I'll tell you a personal story like I became I had a woman with excuse me interstitial cystitis and a guy with chronic prostatitis and when I did a digital rectal exam on him, he had these concretions, you know, like, it felt like stony. So I thought, of course, he had cancer. He was biopsied many times, cleared to cancer. And it turned out that it was uh, probably oxalate crystals. I mean, that's that was our real clinical suspicion that were causing a lot of his prostate pain, prostodynia, they call it, right? And then another woman She had interstitial cystitis and, you know, we tried a lot of things, including conventional things where they infused uh, Elmeron, which is a type of, uh, almost like a glucosamine sulfate type of thing into the bladder, which kind of helped, but really until she got rid of the oxalates, um, she really didn't rectify the situation. So that got me really thinking clinically about uh, these types of things. And then many patients with, um, you know, fibromyalgia in their muscles, <clears throat> where, you know, you couldn't even touch their muscles, they were in such pain, and they tried, you know, everything from holistic stuff, hydrotherapy, acupuncture, massage therapy, to, you know, pharmaceuticals, and serotonin, and gabinergics, and things like that. and And only through changing their chemistry a little bit to and their diet, of course. And also their their. Uh, one of them was exposed to Aspergillus. So we should talk a little about how fungus can make the oxalates worse. So I, I loaded a lot of stuff out there. Any comments on any of cases that you've seen?
1: Oh my gosh. I have so many cases of folks that I've been working with directly as clients. And then I'm doing you know social media things and people are sharing stories a lot right there on Instagram you can look and see some of some of the folks sharing there and in my online zoom classes so I've loaded with stories in the, my book I've I've shared a lot of stories to help illustrate how this can go and one thing that's important to understand about oxalate basically I'm talking about oxalate poisoning here like where our modern diets are so loaded in foods that are high in oxalate like potatoes and peanuts I mean what what child doesn't grow up on? some form of potatoes and tater tots at school and French fries and chips and mashed potatoes at holidays. And then you've got your peanut butter and jelly sandwich and now it's cool to put it on bran, whole wheat bread and so on. So it's really easy now since oxalates also in things like tea, certain cultures love their tea or their potatoes or now peanuts are available year round. So there's uh, a lot of exposure And, and things like fibromyalgia. I mean, fundamentally oxalate causes Cell damage, which whips, whips up inflammatory responses. It causes a deposition disease where now the problematic chemical is hanging around inside your tissues with a, and it's interfering with cell function so much that you get mitochondrial diseases. And I think fibromyalgia is an example of a mitochondrial disease where the, the metabolism in the body is being destroyed because your energy production is not reliable, And you get cells, you get fibrosis developing and and fibrosis, big problem. You get this collection of calcium oxalate as the body tries to kind of pull it out of the critical places or it's in these places where there's a lot of traffic glands tend to pick up a lot of junk from the blood because they are factories producing hormones and producing products. Even if it's just sweat or sebum, they're still working on a product. So they pick up a lot of raw materials and they tend to pick up and concentrate oxalate. The salivary glands concentrate oxalate heavily. So if you have a really heavy tartar situation, that may be a sign of high blood levels of oxalate. And uh, eye crust, if you have crusty eyes in the morning, and these concretions, as you say, can form in the salivary glands, in the prostate, really in so many places but the the real lesson from the literature on oxalate is that how this plays out is unique to every person each person gets a different set of problems and so it's not like oh there's this one little set of symptoms and it sets in a certain way it's incredibly diverse
0: but there's no way to do any lab work now I mean we're, I'm looking at the time we're going to be we're going to be taking a break at the half hour mark to play our natural medicine chess so just a word up to the engineers but um, in in the in a few minutes uh, there's not a lot of lab tests that have been developed to look at your oxalates precipitating in your body is that my understanding um, that's, that's
1: absolutely right and one of the major reasons why everyone is sort of clueless about oxalates and haven't heard about it, because if there's not an easy way to test for it and an easy way to medicate it, it really doesn't fit the current paradigm of medicine, which is all about testing and matching up tests and to drugs or therapies.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, there is, you you can, there are some organic acids which are kind of like in between or molecules that you can, sort of pick up in the urine to give you a little bit of an idea of oxalates that i learned about from dr shaw and some of the good work he's doing at the uh great plains labs with some of the things i mean that but besides that that's about the only only uh, tools that i've seen a
1: little bit unreliable it takes nine urine tests to to estimate the average level of oxalate in the urine which is the natural excretion route for the body to get rid of oxalate is through the urine that's why urine is so interesting to us not
0: sweat though right you you don't get through can
1: you you can can you can release it through through the skin yeah But some people are better at skin. Some people are pretty good at at even colonic dumping, which is a whole other topic. But just before the break, I just want to throw out that I did have an oat test in 2009 that demonstrated I had zero oxalate problem, which is completely wrong. I have a severe oxalate problem, which is now resolving because I've been doing a low oxalate diet for eight years as of next week. I'm so excited. Hmm.
0: Okay. Wow. well, like I said, there's not a lot of, but, but it has, in some people, it's picked up.
1: Yes, it, it often sometimes does pick like, it
0: up. It's like Lyme disease, you know, sometimes it picks it up and sometimes it doesn't. So it becomes a clinical um, diagnosis, and I guess that's why we're educating people here and hopefully other clinicians listening. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we're going to talk about the extensive list of foods, that we need to change our diet and maybe Sally can help us identify some things and and look at ways that we can maybe purge these things out of our body with some B vitamins and changing our acid alkalinities. I mean, maybe there's some hope out there. (laughs) So let's play natural medicine chess and we'll be back with the natural nurse and Dr. Z right in a few minutes, bye-bye.
2: On this edition of The Natural Medicine Chest, we'll talk about high blood pressure, or hypertension.
3: Hypertension, or high blood pressure, is a disease of the Western world and a product of modern civilization. Cultures that continue to adhere to an indigenous lifestyle, which includes low stress levels, a non-refined whole foods diet, as well as vigorous exercise experience virtually no episodes of essential hypertension. It is very interesting to note that when individuals from these societies emigrate to Western countries and adopt Western habits, they too fall prey to hypertension. Naturopathic treatment of hypertension has not changed essentially in the last century. The mainstay of the treatment still relies on diet, exercise, stress reduction, lifestyle modification, with secondary support from other modalities such as hypotensive phytotherapy or herbal medicine, hydrotherapy, which is the therapeutic use of water, clinical nutrition, as well as homeopathy. We'll focus on phytotherapy in this edition of the Natural Medicine Chest.
2: Let's talk about Taraxicum officinalis. This is an unpopular nuisance to many homeowners trying to build that perfect lawn. However, this common weed, the dandelion, is a powerful yet safe botanical medicine for the treatment of hypertension. In a Romania study in 1974, the common dandelion was found to be as potent a diuretic as a commonly used drug called Lasix. Dandelion, however, due to its rich levels of potassium, acted against potassium ion depletion, a dangerous condition known as hypokalemia, seen as a side effect of many antihypertensive drugs which promote diuresis. The leaf of the dandelion was a more effective medicine than the root, although the root is utilized by naturopathic physicians and has a powerful liver-specific medicinal quality.
3: Crataegus oxycantha, also known in the vernacular as hawthorn, is a common tree in the family rosaceae, or the rose family. Extracts of the plant in the Western literature date back far beyond the Middle Ages. Even the Chinese were privy to its usage especially as a digestive tonic. The therapeutic principles are found in extracts from the leaves, berry-like fruits, as well as the flowers. In Europe, crataegus is well respected for its effects at lowering blood pressure, blood lipids, reducing angina attacks, and preventing and perhaps reversing atherosclerotic deposition in arterial walls. This plant has demonstrated a remarkable safety record, but because of its powerful effects, It should not be used with certain cardiac or hypotensive drugs and should be used by a qualified practitioner of alternative medicine.
2: Other herbs are also helpful for hypertension, such as garlic, olive and olive oil, and ginkgo biloba.
3: So if the pressures of life are making your blood boil, don't forget about these herbal medicines the next time you reach into the natural medicine chest.
0: Well, we're back and we're talking... With, um sorry I'm a little out of breath I took a quick run there <laughs> with uh, Sally Norton and she's a vitality coach speaker health consultant, masters of public health and we're talking about just a mind-blowing program on oxalates and the toxicity there. So well we painted a dark picture, Sally, so lead us to the light. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes coming out coming out of this little world this we're like this island of misfit toys those of us who've discovered that we've hurt ourselves so badly with our healthy diets and we're yeah we're nursing some very serious, like, serious
0: did i cause this problem on my patients by telling them to do green smoothies and things like that and you know but i guess once we once we're kind of uh educated and understand it now we can make changes. And that's that's the great thing about the power of our body, the vis medicatrix nature, the healing power of nature, that that we can right the wrong and and uh, help ourselves. So tell us a little bit about how that's you really got out of this.
1: I just want to comment on how stunning it is how the body wants to heal itself if you really get out of its way and let it heal amazing things happen in just five days sometimes when people get off the high oxalate foods they're suddenly getting a good night's sleep their mood is improving they're not running to the bathroom all the time their back pain is less and their joints aren't bothering them so it's amazing how the body is going after it. And oxalate is a thing in nature. The body's aware of oxalate. It has systems for dealing with it. It just, the body was not designed for a world where we get the same foods, all foods available every day of the year delivered to us now very affordably where you can really overdo them. Um, So it's modern situation is quite concerning because there's an oversupply of high oxalate foods, which we're going to talk about Um, But also, it's so profound that anyone is willing to hear something that's counter to what they've believed for years. If you tell someone that they've been telling their patients and clients to eat high-oxalate foods, and that is probably poor advice, something you should stop doing, people don't want to hear that they've been wrong. So anyone who's willing to update themselves and expand their understanding and change their point of view is the kind of people you want to work with as a client and as colleagues, um, because you don't want to have people stuck in their paradigm where they can't move forward.
0: Absolutely. Well said. So tell us a little bit about the food. It's ironic. Thanksgiving is coming up, and we're about to cook all these veggies and things like that. So tell us about the typical (laughs) Thanksgiving dinner. Is it
1: The troubles in the side (laughs) dishes. Yeah, later today, I'm hoping to put out a post. I just did a kind of pre-Thanksgiving <laughs> holiday social with some friends and took pictures. And so I've got some suggestions of foods you could try for Thanksgiving if you're interested in that. And if you're just oh, learning well, about
0: how it. can people avail themselves at that?
1: Yeah, so that's going to be I'm going to post it to Instagram, which will post also to my <clears> my <throat> Facebook page, which is be free to thrive. And my Instagram page is sknorton, N-O-R-T-O-N. And you can find me there. And it's a fun world there with uh, some people sharing and a lot of information. I'll take you many days to get through. My website also has information and recipes and, and support so you can start learning more about it. But the foods, the foods that we are starting, needing to back away from, probably gradually, a sudden drop, if you're, if you, are doing a keto diet with say almond bread or muffins or almond this or that, you love peanuts, you love your chocolate, you're doing green smoothies, you're getting your greens every day, you happen to like potatoes or rhubarb or turmeric. These foods are very high in oxalate. You could be, if you're doing green smoothies, for example, or keto bread and dark, dark chocolate routinely, you could be Taking in as much as 10 times or more of what your body's equipped to deal with. Hmm. That's really
0: bad. So what would be a good um, oxalate friendly breakfast for patients? Uh, kind understand.
1: of a farmer's breakfast. The old school, 100 year ago farmer was having eggs and ham, eggs and steak, eggs and bacon. Like if you can do a protein and fat based breakfast. That's ideal to start kind of a low sugar way to kick off your day, get protein to keep you going through the day, get fat so you're not starving and your blood sugar is even. That's going to give you a pretty nice day. Uh, and if you're moving towards a sort of animal foods based breakfast, that's a zero oxalate meal. But if you used to do a spinach smoothie or a keto or a, like one of those chia bowls, those are kind of like kidney destroying. <laughs> bone dissolving inflammation foods and your body's been in a situation of having to be in defensive sequestration so kind of collecting the oxalate and these crystals in the bones and around the body in order to keep it out of the vascular system and the kidneys so that the kidneys survive your body's
0: any grains, uh, Sally, any greens that uh, don't really have a lot of oxalate?
1: Most but- greens I- don't have oxalate. There's only four that have a lot of oxalate. Okay. That's Swiss chard and beets, spinach and sorrel. That's it. Everything else, all the lettuces, the watercress, the tot soy and arugula, all those kind of cabbage family vegetables, cabbage, and they're all low oxalate. The cabbage family doesn't really care about using oxalate as a defense chemical that much.
0: Yeah, it probably uses sulfur and things like that, but yeah, okay, right. That's it has
1: good. other ways of being.
0: <laughs> People could do that. I could yeah, see. Yeah, you
1: it. can have your salad. Just don't do For the sure. musculin mix that has all those little red veined beet greens and Swiss chard greens in it. Do uh, romaine lettuce is a, makes a beautiful salad, and mm-hmm. watercress is touting its nutritional powers as as romaine. And so you can make a nice bright green, crunchy thing if you trust raw vegetables because there is with California and commercial production, you get E. coli contamination on raw greens. So they're not all that, as safe as they're touted to be. Um, but
0: now, with omega threes, people are trying to move away from, you know, maybe fish oil and things like that. And they're we're trying to eat more walnuts. Are walnuts high in oxalates?
1: compared to Walnuts often? aren't nearly as bad as almonds and cashews, so that's a nice transition food. I used to eat walnuts for snacks because I knew for years I couldn't tolerate almonds and cashews, and it's probably because of the oxalates. Of course, almonds have many other toxic chemicals in them. I haven't studied the walnuts and how toxic they are beyond oxalates, but that would be a good transition. If you're eating a lot of almonds or cashews switching to walnuts definitely increases your omega-3s. I had a weirdest imbalance of way too many omega-3s because of my daily walnut snack. Um, so even that can be overdone.
0: <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's a good, that's a good, uh, you know, people need snacks to carry around with them and things like that. So, uh, what are some good low oxalate snacks? How about fruits uh, Tell us about fruits and oxalates.
1: Yeah, so there's a handful of fruits that are pretty high, like kiwi, which is also has those toothpick crystals pretty heavily, and blackberries and raspberries. And then in a more moderate would still have quite a bit of oxalate would be clementines and tangelos and things like that. And then the navel is less There's So there's a lower levels in and grapefruit and those kinds of things. Pineapple is much lower. Blueberries are much lower, except the wild blueberries seem to be higher in oxalate than the conventional or the you know cultivated varieties. So the problem with the the specifics on this is that there has been some testing, many of it sponsored by the vulva pain foundation who ra- recognized 26 years ago that vulva pain, interstitial cystitis, and pelvic pain issues can be related to oxalate. And so they realized there just is terrible lists out there, not good data. Most textbooks have terrible data and just completely wrong. This, so if you go to a dietitian, what she knows about, he or she knows about oxalate content of food, you're not gonna get an accurate list from them, sadly. But we're working on that. <laughs>
0: Yes, that was one of the big revelations is when my patient had the vulvodynia and then the other one with the interstitial cystitis and found out that there were some nice support groups. And um, she actually opened up my eyes with the oxalate issues. I mean, um, I never realized it. And so that was a really good
1: Congratulations thing. for learning from your from the real world of real people. You know, patients
0: are your greatest teachers, too. I mean, they come back with the feedback what you've been telling them and doing and you know sometimes it works sometimes it hey what about what about dandelion on our natural medicine chest we were talking about dandelion as a great botanical for, you know, all kinds of things, including hypertension. Does the dandelion greens have high oxalates?
1: Oh boy. I used to love dandelion greens. <laughs> oh, I don't do. eat
0: them anymore. oh, that's terrible. They're okay.
1: not as bad. They're kind of in the middle. You know, I said that most greens are low except for those four, but dandelions are kind of in the middle. So, you know, if you do small portions of dandelions as a transition food, that's fine, but I won't eat them anymore. Mm. But I used to really love them culinarily. They were one of my favorites. and, and I course,
0: know some of the wild greens too, Sally. Oh, no,
1: they're terrible.
0: <laughs> a lot of oxalates like the... Uh, yeah.
1: Uncultivated wild plants are generally much higher in oxalate, but uh, purslane and uh, terrible. And
0: well, purslane has a lot of oxalates
1: too. Yes. Really? Yes, yeah, oh. sadly.
0: Um what about the? I guess the chenopodiums are very high in that kind of goose goose family. That would be your, your the quinoa and um, the goose.
1: Yes, very high. The buckwheat family is really high. Buckwheat and rhubarb are in the same family. And rhubarb is famous for causing severe oxalate poisoning. If you eat the leaves of the rhubarb plant, you could literally kill a child doing that. I don't know.
0: They would make rhubarb pie out of the uh, the stems.
1: But... I loved rhubarb growing up. My mom had it behind the house and we had rhubarb crisp a lot. And my sister and I ate raw rhubarb when we played house together. And I was just always in the oxalate patch growing up, which started to it mess up my house.
0: Sorrel, health. sorrel leaves, and, you know, things like that. But again, I think it's the, what you do. So what about dietary supplements that kind of leach out deoxalates because there's a lot of research on that and clinical anecdotes and case study and which is all important to know because everything's not researched really well in this field and we have to go by clinicians like yourself and researchers and
1: in case studies and the reports, there's so many case studies. And then there's uh, uh, other forms of oxalate poisoning through ethylene glycol ingestion, which is like antifreeze, which people will use to commit suicide or even attempt to commit murder because it's sweet and you can slip it into someone's coffee. And it's that uh, ethylene glycol is converted into oxalate in the body. So there's a little bit of metabolic things going on in the liver and elsewise where there's a little bit of oxalate production in the body. And when you have these precursor molecules like, ethylene glycol and and they used to use xylitol in hospitals to as a sugar form and that can kill certain people who have a tendency to turn a lot of that into oxalate so there's a lot of variables in our metabolism that may make us more dependent on certain nutrients and if you've got oxalate poisoning going on and you've got some deficiencies or, or or you're taking in these precursors that turn into oxalate in the body the biggest one being vitamin c uh we Access vitamin C that the cells can't absorb right away and use metabolically can turn into oxalate pretty dramatically and cause a lot of problems. Um, but a, the, um, the idea of vitamins helping us and minerals helping us really starts with the minerals because oxalate is depleting the blood and tissue of calcium and other minerals and I believe spilling potassium because it's causing a fair amount of inflammation and just disruptions to cell membranes and cells become leaky, especially before they die from the oxalate damage that kills their mitochondria. And so you, you start losing potassium from muscles and bones and you create a very acidic metabolism. So the oxalate toxicity creates a kind of chronic acidosis, which wow. is usually subclinical, but we have to keep correcting that. So we use citrate, citric acid from lemon juice and citric, citrate supplements to help correct the acidosis, help protect the kidneys, help prevent kidney stones that can help the body safely dissolve crystals. And we're constantly replenishing potassium, calcium, and magnesium. We use calcium as a binder of oxalate and take calcium in order to have calcium in the colon, because when the acidosis is going on and when the kidney stress is occurring, because there's too much oxalate traffic where the kidneys are being overworked, 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 like abused slaves in a factory. And that overwork creates a certain metabolic distress and acidity goes up for that and several other reasons. That turns on colon excretion so the body can pull oxalates out of the blood and throw it back into the colon. Some people are better at that than others, but having calcium in the digestive tract helps the body to excrete it and permanently excrete it. Like it binds in the intestines with the calcium, and then you can remove it with the feces. Some people even get crystally stools that scratch on the way past the anus through the rectum out the anus, and get you can get burning rectum, you can end up with hemorrhoids and even funky raised red ridges around the anal area from when during these times when the body is excreting excessive oxalate through the colon. Some people are good at that. Some people, not so much others. You get things with the skin popping open, these boils that release little bits of quartz, like crystals. Really? Yeah. That's also on my Instagram page. A few of the pictures that people have shared with me. I'm not a skin releaser myself, so I haven't had that.
0: Oh, I've seen that actually. And I thought it was Morgellons disease or something like that, but maybe it was oxalate.
1: Morgellons diagnoses come up within these cases of oxalate poisoning sometimes. Yeah. That's just a diagnosis handle. It doesn't necessarily it's tell us.
0: coming out your skin, but there's clearly something.
1: And I've had clients tell me, or I have a fowler in particular. She, she went through two years of, of just shedding white dust, white dust, white dust. So it can be so fine. And it just looks like maybe dead skin cells, but she's like, no, no, this is like white dust coming off of me for two years.
0: Wow. Wow. So what about B6? I've heard that that's important for biochemical reactions to help neutralize the oxaloids.
1: Well, B6 and B1 are very important in the cells to turn these metabolic precursors of oxalate into non-toxic compounds. So things, these internal compounds like glyoxylate and glycol become this thing, um, glycolate. or And this glycolic acid is a major precursor of oxalate. If you've got enough B6, And B1, B1 is really even more profound because B1 is is a cofactor. That's what vitamins do. They they help these enzymatic reactions work. They work with enzymes and and make them go. So do minerals. So B1 is helping shunt this precursor into a non-toxic form that's not oxalate. But if that B1 is deficient, then you're gonna have more oxalate Develop, developing from the vitamin C and from amino acids and ultimately even fermented foods and breads and cleaners and and funky things with your digestion, like diabetes or your metabolism, excuse me, diabetes, vegetables, these things can become glyoxyl, which is a precursor to the precursor and so on. So you need enough B6 and B1, both. Uh, B, B6 helps to um, move glyoxalate down into glycine back into these amino acids and so on. So we we need enough vitamins. And when you've got broken mitochondria, where a lot of this is happening, you need more of it, more of these B vitamins often. And the process of dealing with a lot of oxalate in the body burns up these vitamins. And B1 deficiency is very common. And I often start people off with the new fat soluble forms of B1 and make sure they've got a good form of B6- in the active P5P form, in a nice formulation that gives them a full set of B vitamins. I equate getting the B vitamins to pouring a heavy dose of water down a rusted wheel that would run the mill for the flour mill. You know, the, the river is supposed to be pouring or the mill stream is supposed to be moving this wheel. The wheel is your metabolism and the water, the B vitamins helping to turn the wheel. And with oxalate, you get this kind of rusty metabolism where everything's kind of creaky and difficult.
0: Huh. People probably um, talk a lot about different types of arthritis. Um, this, oh, yes. This can precipitate arthritis and inflame the joints. I mean, we, we know, you know, causing like a pseudo gout.
1: Most definitely. And it didn't used to be called pseudo gout. That was a modern move that happened since the 1980s. It was called the oxalate gout. And gout was known to be a um, a manifestation of periods of joint inflammation and pain and weakness that occurs because of five different kinds of crystals, not just uric acid. But uric acid is something we can test for and we have a drug for. So all the other forms of gout, including oxalate gout, bursitis, tendinitis, et cetera, all oxalate generated were relegated to something called pseudogout, which sounds so unsexy and cool. And nobody's paying attention to the oxalate gout, the oxalate brusitis, the oxalate tendonitis, but it's a really big thing. And it can happen not just directly because oxalate crystals are forming in tissues and in your joint spaces and oxalate is turning on inflammation and you're getting these periods of inflammation, which affect the joints very severely But you're also um, causing the cell distress, increases other inflammatory chemicals chronically. So osteopontin is an example of one of these things. Osteopontin causes, uh, chronically elevated osteopontin causes calcium deposits in the tendons, connective tissues. It can cause fibromyalgia. It can cause many kinds of diseases. Including cancer, so chronically high osteoplatin is happening because your poor kidneys are chronically dealing with too much oxalate from our sweet potatoes and potato chips and figs. And- yeah, it's a shame
0: that the that the sweet potatoes and the Irish potatoes, as they as they call them in Jamaica, the Irish, <laughs> um, are, are problems with with oxalates. So, um, okay. well, there's
1: some potatoes that are a little bit less. So if you are sweet potatoes, you can switch to like the new red skin potatoes and boil them well and peel them. And then at a reasonable, you know, half cup portion, you can do that. So that would might be a transition food to get away from the baker potatoes, the russets that we use to make French fries and potato chips. Use the new skin, the red ones, boil them and peel them and eat them in modest quantities. You can have a little bit of potato, but. A lot of people get addicted to their peanuts and potatoes or tea. You know, there's something about foods that are harming us that we also get hooked on. It's I don't know what that biochemistry is, but it's a phenomenon you see a lot.
0: Does using dairy in the tea, I know it binds the tannins, will it, will it actually bind some of the oxalates too? You know, classically, people put a little bit of milk or clotted cream <laughs> Yes,
1: and we, we used to also make cream spinach. I think there was a history of using cheese and cream in a lot of vegetable dishes, specifically probably because it's it's making them more tolerable because more calcium in a meal, the the less oxalic acid available to absorb. But the absorption process, that is the movement of oxalate from the gut into the blood, is not fully understood why some people absorb maybe even 60% of the oxalate they're eating instead of the, the normal 10 to 15%. We don't even, I mean, you can't always diagnose the leaky gut and the gut inflammation that's increasing the percentage of oxalate in your diet getting in. So it's not just about how much you're eating. It's also what is the health of the gut? And if you've been eating a lot of plant toxins, all the plant toxins harm the gut.
0: What about the flora? We only have a few more minutes, Chuck. We'll run out of time quickly. But are there any flora tweaks that people can have that would help us metabolize the oxalates better?
1: Not really, because oh. the, the main oxalate-degrading bacteria are are get overwhelmed by high-oxalate diet and die off because of high-oxalate diet. And then you can't really re- correct, especially a, Oxalobacter formigenes is the famous one. It's really tries to just live 100% on oxalate, which I consider a really crummy position to have. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the last thing you'd want to be is one of them <laughs> to have to eat oxalate for a living. But you know, our tendency to use antibiotics and antibacterial products so much, and then eating high oxalate foods tends to wipe out the degrading bacteria, and there's not a good way to replenish the flora, but the flora tends to improve if you correct the oxalate in the diet and let your body detox the oxalate accumulations over the eight to 10 years that it takes you to remove them. Very quickly, you see improved um, resistance to infections and all kinds of benefits from that. And eventually your flora can settle down to something that works for you based on your diet. Trying to manipulate it with probiotics doesn't seem to work and can has potential side effects of setting up the wrong bacteria for your particular metabolism. So I generally tell people to save their money on probiotics. Now, there's some maybe postbiotics that can support the gut healing, really like these products that are more like what the bacteria were doing for us, like creating certain chemicals and so on. So I think the secret's kind of be probably in what we call postbiotics, and that's kind of a new era, that arena where we don't have a lot of data.
0: Well, thanks, Sally. It's uh, top of the hour almost, and we are run out of time. Just share with us how people could get in contact with you, and they could, of course, share the program here. Great stuff. Really enjoyed talking to you.
1: It's really been a pleasure. I hope people will find me at my website, which is sallyknorton.com, you can find me on Instagram sk Norton, which is N O R T O N, and those would be the two best places to reach out to me and start learning. Thank you.
0: Great. My favorite. My favorite tip is to fast on black cherries. That definitely neutralizes. It was an old gout remedy, and I've, it's even helped people with oxalates too. But anyway, well, that does it for another edition of the Natural Nurse and Doctor Z. Hope you learned something. I certainly did. Wonderful. Take care. Bye-bye.